Is he enough? And that's one of the uh, things even with sin as we'll look about next week. Uh, how do we prevent sin coming into our life? How do we prevent it next week? The, the issue is, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? It won't be next week. It'll be the following week. The last Sunday. There's five Sundays in this week. And so it'll be the fifth Sunday which we bring that one. But today is how sin gets in. How does sin get in? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your loving kindness unto us. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of life through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your word, O oh God, that is able to minister to us. And we pray that we will have ears to hear and hearts to receive and a willingness to apply. Because, Lord, is not good enough just to hear. And, Lord, we want to be doers of your word. And in order to live out your words and to be doers of the, of the word, we have to apply it into our lives. And, and Lord, you're the one that have to make that application through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, O oh God, how to live holy, how to live godly, how to live a life that is pleasing unto our God. Lord, may you work today. Lord, uh, we can say, O oh God, uh, I've been walking with you for 20 years, 30 years. I've, I've been a Christian five, ten years, it doesn't matter. As long as we're on this side of heaven, there is still work to be done. And may you work in us. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, my wife's going to find on the phone bill one of these calls that she don't like to see sometime. Uh, but I told the young man we would pray for him. And um, he called from the jail this morning. Um, Ronald Williams is his name. And uh, he wanted us to pray for him. And you know when they call, you've got to accept that call. And it's usually a $10, $15 charge right off the bat. You know. And uh, so I, I accepted the call. And um, him and I, we were able to talk. And, and he said, Pastor Brown, um, somebody gave me your name and said to call you. And um, so I'm calling you. And, and I asked that if you would pray. And he says, um, I've lost my mother. I've lost uh, my girlfriend. I, I've lost uh, a child. And he said, it seemed like everything just came down on me at one time. And then he said, I did some things I shouldn't have did. And uh, I'm hoping I'm not facing time. But I'm hoping the judge would put me on probation or put me in a halfway house or run the time concurrently. So it's those three things that he had. And uh, I said, well, we'll be praying that God will give you probation or put you in a halfway house. And, and if he does that, would you get back in touch with me for you and I can uh, continue this, con this conversation and just have prayer with him there on the phone that he would have favor with the judge and, and that... Um, he would be able to have probation or put in a halfway house. Sin doesn't care about us. 
Sin doesn't care where we wound, wind up at. We can wind up in the gutter. We can wind up dead. We can wind up along somebody's street. We can wind up somewhere where people don't even care about us. Sin doesn't care about us. And we need to understand that. And sin doesn't care who it hurts. It really doesn't care. How many of you stand outside your home and say to the ants, come on in. But yet, every year sometimes you find ants where at. Yeah. You know, them bugs and them pests, you don't stand there and invite them in. Well, they're like sin. We don't invite it in, but it finds its way in, don't it? How many of you understand diseases in the body sometimes? You don't ask for them to come in. Uh, Arthur, I, I, I hadn't asked Arthur to come and make his home here, you know. But arthritis every now and then, it, it, just, it just finds its way and it's there and you know it, you know. The, the thing with cancer even. How many of you cancer, but yet it's there. It's in every one of us. And cancer, I understand, has five stages. And what you want to do is catch it in its early stages. And what you want to do is catch sin in its early stage. In its early stage. Oftentimes in life, we're caught off guard and we need to understand that sin will get in but we don't have to allow sin to grow and we'll talk about that scripture says we all have sinned and we come short of the glory of God every man every woman every child we have sinned now, in knowing that all have sinned, there's three words that I want to just give some definition to as we go through this a little bit. The first one simply is sin itself. Sin is called missing the mark. Missing the mark is oftentimes stated as the definition of sin. I don't know if that's a good one, for today because uh, people don't care if they miss the mark. <laughs> people don't care if they're late. People don't care uh, if they're in the right place. People don't care about missing the mark. Uh, you can give somebody a goal on the job and say you need to achieve and you need to turn out at least five of these. Well, I only turned out two. What's the big issue? You know, and it seems like you can set a goal for people, but somehow it's not a big thing for them. And so missing the mark today is not a big issue to a lot of people. But that's how one way sin is defined. The other is, is that it's a transgression or one who is not keeping God's law or God's word. And they just don't care about it. And they break it constantly. That's another. The other one is understanding of our sin nature. 
we all have a sin nature that comes from Adam. But because you have a sin nature, don't take it as a label that you have to go out here and sin. Uh, sometimes when you begin, as they say, if you call a child bad, they're going to begin to take that label and begin to what? Act it out. You know, uh, some people will give you their excuse. I'm this because I've been labeled this. No, uh, because you have a sin nature, the sin nature does not cause you to sin. You need to understand that. The sin nature simply is there saying the capability is there. It's possible. It's possible because of the sin nature. It's possible for us to sin. It doesn't make us sin. We need to understand that about our sin nature. We all have it. So the capability in all of us is, is there that all of us can sin. It's possible for all of us to sin. It's the ability to sin. And we find that in the whole thing of 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and Romans 5, 12 through 14 that it is there that capability to sin and, and that possibility that we all can sin is there because of that sin nature. The other one is temptation. Temptation itself is not sin. And we need to understand that. Okay. And in our 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it simply says that uh, there is no temptation that is not common unto man. We all go through it. No matter what age, no matter what century we were, or decade we were born in, or whatever, we're all tempted by sin. The temptation itself is not sin. The word itself really means to be proven. To be proven. And it's a way of saying you're tested. And you're tested in such a way with your holy character, your holy life, your loyalty to the Lord. You're, you're being tested. And he says, you're going to have trials. You're going to be tried. Yes. That's all temptation is. But temptation does not suggest sin. Sin becomes the act that takes place. Now there's two things that can take place with temptation that comes out. Two things. One, the sin itself when you act or the holiness of your life when you act. That when you're tempted, either you say yes to it or you say what? No to it. Either you Continue on and you accept the sin, you get involved in the sin, or you reject the sin, and you make a choice. I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live righteously. I'm going to live right before my God. I'm going to do the right thing. Then ignorance. Many of us want to claim sometimes ignorance. 
And when you go before the judge, even in today's courtroom, the judge will tell you, ignorance is not an excuse. Ignorance of the law does not mean that you will not pay the penalty for breaking that law. And oftentimes what we want to say is that I was ignorant of God's word. I'm ignorant of it. I memorized having my home built. The gentleman came and I asked him two or three times before we even signed the contract. Is this enough funds to finish this home? And he said, yes, I can do this. I can do this. And one day he showed up at the house with his lawyer and said, uh, I cannot finish the home. Now, praise God, we were at least 75 to 80 percent done. And I told him, well, you're going to have to meet with my lawyer, too. And so we all met, his lawyer, my lawyer, and myself and him, we're all in a lawyer's office, and my lawyer said, well, you've got a contract here, whether you have enough money or not, you're obligated to finish the job here. And the young man said, he just can't do it. He can't do it. And he went on with all his excuses, and his lawyer brought up some things and so forth. But anyhow, after they left, Brother Buzzy, many of you know Attorney Buzzy, a good friend of mine, <laughs> he looked at me and he said, Gus, you've been in construction long enough, you knew it wasn't enough money for this young man to finish. I said, I knew it, but he didn't, but he signed it. <laughs> and, and even Mr. Jennings got on me. <laughs> Gus, you knew I couldn't be done. I said, yes, if I were doing it, it could be done. The whole process, it was tight. But the thing is, he signed. And you have to honor the contract. And oftentimes, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, we sign the contract. And then we want to play ignorant on the other side. I didn't know this was in the contract. I didn't know it was going to take this much. I didn't know that it was going to call for this or that. But the contract now is signed. When you look at Leviticus 4, we're not going to do it today, it, it, that whole chapter covers the ignorance of Israel, the king, the common people, the pre everybody who would want to claim ignorance and have to look at the time in which it is taking effect also, that at this time, a lot of the people couldn't read. A lot of people didn't have the word. A lot of people didn't have what we have today. But even though their ignorance was there, a sacrifice had to be made. Something had to die. For that ignorance. And Paul says when he was in his unbelieving state that he acted in unbelief and in ignorance. 
and God forgave him for his ignorance. But when you get into Acts 17, the Lord says, I wink at ignorance now because you have the word. You have knowledge. It's a choice on your part to be ignorant. And God says, I will not accept that. I will not accept that when it comes to sin. Now, we need to also understand this. Sin crouches at our door. It's there. Turn with me to Genesis 4. I, I want you to catch something here. With Cain. Understanding Cain has the sin nature. So Cain has the ability to sin. We need to understand this. That the ability of sin does not mean I have to sin. Oftentimes when Christians are caught in sin, is this thing that I'm the victim of sin. You are not the victim of sin. You are the victim of your attitude that brings about sin. We need to get that part straight. It's my attitude sometimes that causes me to be the victim of my sin. In verse 4, chapter 4, it says, But Abel bought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now with Abel, Abel had the same opportunity Cain has the same opportunity. Just do what is right. And Abel does what is right and is favorable to the Lord. And the Lord accepts it. Cain now does what he desires to do, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Catch that. Who is Cain angry at? He's angry at the Lord. He allowed his attitude to rear up. He allowed his feelings to rear up. Rather than just looking at his brother and asking this question, how did my brother find favor and do the same thing? Not that he didn't have an example. It's there. And sometime with us, all we have to do is look at another Christian's life and say, hey, God's given them favor and live like them. But no, we're going to do our thing. And we're going to say, God, you're going to accept it this way, no matter what. 
God doesn't accept just anything. But here we get our attitude in the way. And our attitude says, you're going to accept me just the way I am or I'm leaving. Now you can tell me you're hungry. And I can say to you, I'm going to take you home and I'm going to feed you, but in my home you're not going to use your profanity. But you're going to tell me you're going to use your profanity. Do you think you're going to eat? It's not that you're not capable of eating. It's not that you can't get what you want, but your attitude is what? Yes. It's stopping. It's preventing. It's holding you back. And therefore you hear this little conversation. In verse 6, he says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? In other words, why are you acting this way? Why are you doing this? You see the example of your brother, just go do that. And you'll have favor. Go a little bit further. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now, the acceptance is based on what? Doing what is right. And oftentimes, we want to be accepted even in our sinful state. And we're going to force ourselves onto people, and people have to accept us in our adultery, in our fornication, in our lying, in our profanity, in all our filth, somehow we have to uh, make people accept us. And people are not going to accept that. And God's not going to accept it. Stay with me in this. Because it's an attitude about sin. Where the person thinks they're going to control. And Cain's thought is, I'm going to control God. And sometimes we think we're going to control God. Or we're going to make God do something that is against God's principles and standards. And God says, Cain, all you have to do is do what is right. And making that statement says plenty because Cain knew what to do. And now it's a choice. Do I want to do what I want to do or do I do what God says is the right thing to do? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin is crouching at your door. He is 
didn't say to Cain, you have sinned. He says, you have an option now. You can do what is right. Or sin is crunching at your door. And with that sin nature and your possibility of sinning. And you have to understand here. You have a sin nature and I have a sin nature. And Satan puts something before us that activates that sin nature. And he says, that which will activate that sin nature of yours is crouching at your door. That which will cause you to fall into sin is crouching at your door. He had not sinned yet. He's in between that area of right and sin, and we're going to see that. And God is speaking to him. And God does that with you and I. Before that sin truly takes root in us. Now we'll be able to see it in scripture. God gives us that opportunity to repent, to confess, and do what is right. But we have to be willing to confess that we're wrong and choose to do the right thing. When God said unto Cain, do what is right, in one sense, Cain was already doing what is what? Wrong. But sin is not full-blown yet. Sin has not really taken over yet. But sin is crouching right at the door. Sin is right there. And now there's a choice to be made. There's a choice to be made. How sin gets into our life. Let's go to James chapter 1 and verses 14 and 15. Understanding the sin nature, that the sin nature doesn't make me sin, it says the possibility of sinning is there. The ability to sin is there. Temptation doesn't make me sin. It's just something that is tempting me, but it doesn't make me. He says in verse 14, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires. Just stop right there. In us lies all kind of evil desires. And remember what the Lord said to Cain? You have to master it. You have to master what's in you. You have to bring it under control. You have to really deal with you. If you got a lion tongue, who got to deal with it? Mom and dad can whoop you all day long. But you got to deal with it. 
If you got hands that are, as they old folks used to say, you got sticky hands, everything around you somehow winds up in your hands and you pick up everything. You, you, you go into the store and you ain't got a dime to pay for anything, but yet it winds up in your hands or in your pockets. You got to deal with that area of stealing. You got to deal with it. And all of us, as long as we're alive, Young men, old men, young women, old women, whatever. We got to control these what? These eyes. There's handsome men out here. There's beautiful women out here. We got to control these eyes. And God says, you got to master it. You have to master that which is within you. Now, like cancer, it can lay dormant. I carry the, the germ of tuberculosis. I can never take another tuberculosis test. I have it. But it's dormant. It's dormant. Cancer is in every one of us. But it's dormant. It's dormant. Arthritis basically is in every one of us. But it's just dormant. But what activates it? I know now if I drink too much milk, boy, my elbows, my shoulders, everything, it just inflates. And I was watching Dr. Oz one time, he was in the, and he was explaining how milk inflames the joints and so forth. And I stopped drinking milk. And this happened greatly. But every now and then I get a taste for it. And I say to myself, am I willing to suffer the pain so I, so I don't get as much as I used to? Well, if I get a couple of cookies, I don't get a full glass of milk. I just get enough of the milk to make the cookie soft and, and enjoy it, you know. And he says, you have to master it. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Remember, he says, your evil desires. Now, there's no way God can list all those evil desires that are in us. But you'll also find them over in Matthew, and Matthew don't go as far as Mark does, but in Matthew 15, 19, you'll find some of these same things. But over in Mark chapter 7, look at verse 21 through 22 with me. He says... For from within, we're at in, in. Out of man's heart comes evil what? Yes. When you watch TV, you see every evil thought, and every now and then you see a new one. And some of these cartoons that they call cartoons are not cartoons anymore. They're evil thoughts. But he says, every evil thought. Now just think how big this book would be if God listed every evil thought. Just think about if God was to list just your evil thoughts you have in a day or a week. So we got to master those evil thoughts. But there's something that Satan then is trying to ignite or initiate or cause that evil thought to begin 
to become alive. Sometimes I used to tell mothers this here, and I still share it with them sometimes in counseling, especially when a young man gets to a certain age and he's looking at mom eye to eye. Don't think that young man won't try to hit you. And everyone that I've spoken to, basically, because the attitude of their children that I see, have wound up hitting their mom. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't love their mom. It means that thought at that time, when it comes in, and whatever the heated argument is with mom, they can't master it. They can't control it. At that point, they just see themselves taller than mom, bigger than mom, stronger than mom. And that thought runs through the head, and when it runs through sometime, then the action follows. And the only thing that masters that thought is that there's a high respect that casts that thought down. There's a high, high love, not just love, but a higher love than self that casts that thought down. Because when a young man becomes a young man, he begins to exercise his strength. And it doesn't matter if it be on mom, it doesn't matter if it be on next door neighbor, he begins to show forth his strength. And the only thing that stops it is that high respect and that love. My mom used a rolling pin. Because with 11 boys, she would take that rolling pen or whatever she found in her hand at the moment and almost like she could read your thought. And after she gets done slaying you, she'd tell you, don't allow that thought to get you in trouble. Because what she was seeing was an attitude begin to come forth. And he says, these evil thoughts that take place. He goes on a little further then from the evil thought. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. We can't even begin to even talk about sexual immorality. It's not enough anymore just to have fornication. It's not enough just to commit adultery. We got to have triple partners, everything else in the bed with us. We got to go through all this and more stuff. We haven't even begun to see what's going to come out a man. And the Lord said, You got to master that. You got to master that. It's there. And he moves a little further. He says, Then, theft. Theft. As um, Larry and I was talking to the insurance guy, and the insurance man is trying to get me to pay for $25,000 on a Sunday morning. I said, sir, we don't get nowhere near $25,000 on a Sunday morning. I don't need to pay for that one. $5,000 is more than enough for us. And going back down to the... Then he tried to serve. You know how often church money is stolen by people that you trust? 
And this is amazing. When Larry said they did, Larry got said, I didn't know all of this was going on in the church. Where you got to fingerprint people now. They want us to fingerprint. They want us to do this. A background check for Sunday school teachers. Not only the state test, but the federal test also. But that costs us $65 for federal. And just the many things that they hunt because of what they see happening in the church. Death. And he goes on and he says then, boy, murder. Murder. We thought that we electrocuted you. We thought if we put you in the gas chamber. We thought if we did something to you, that would stop or slow down what? No. We thought we'd give you life in prison. It would frighten people out here. No. God said, it's in here. And you got to master it. You got to master it. And we could go on there, but he says, Adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness or lawlessness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside. Not from outside. Inside. And he says, you got to master them. You got to master them. You got to bring them under control. You have to deal with them. And he says, back there in James now, for each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desires. Whether it be that desire to steal, boy, they trust me, I can handle this money, but I'm only going to take $100 out of the 10000 Nobody's going to miss it. Elaine and I were watching a funny movie the other night called First Sunday. And the deacon in the church, they was having this uh, raising money for the new building or whatever. And they took in 64000 Well, he took 30000 off the top and told the church they only took in 34000 And didn't get caught until they went to court because somebody else was trying to steal the money. And here it was, the deacon stealing the money. You know? and, and the whole thing is we got to control it. Is the temptation there? Yes. But we have to control it. He says you sin because of your evil desires. Look at the very next part of what James says. He says you are dragged away. Your evil desires he is dragged away. Now, if you're dragged away, you're being dragged away from something. That your evil desires drag you away from something. You're being dragged away from the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. Because Scripture tells us, if you draw nigh unto God, he'll draw nigh unto you. And James says, Satan does what? Bye. He don't want to get that close. 
He drags you away from the word of truth. Watch people as they fall into sin or sin or being that desire. They, they shut the Bible up and they don't want to talk scripture no more. They don't want to talk Bible. Because they're being dragged away from the word of truth. That they can perform their desire. Because if you stay in the word, the word's going to show you yourself and also the remedy. But he drags you away from it, from the word of truth. He drags you away from fellowship and the church. Why? Because church folks, when they begin to see you begin to falter, they begin to do what? Say something to you. They begin to warn you. They begin to share with you. And, and what Satan knows is this. We can't stand by ourselves. That's why Jesus sent them out two by two. Hey. Satan knows if he can separate us. You ever see the lioness hunt on the animal kingdom? You ever see how they separate whatever they're going to go at from the pack? Satan does that too. Because if he can separate us from the church, if he can separate us from fellowship, if he can separate us from other Christians, he has a good chance of killing us, destroying us. See? That's why the Lord says, do not forsake the fellowship, you know what? One another. That's where our protection is at. That's where our strength is at. That's where our help is at. But he drags us away from that, from fellowshipping. Any kind of way he can do that, he gets us away from it. And we slowly begin to fall, not even understanding why we're falling. You know. But we're dragged away. And we have to be being dragged away from something. Our own desires we're dealing with. And now we're being dragged away. And then he says, after you're away from everyone who would help you, who would strengthen you, who would speak encouraging words to you, he says, you're enticed. You're enticed. You're enticed. You are attracted by something. That's what the word enticed. Something catches your attention that you think will fulfill your desires, your pleasures, your wants, your needs. You're enticed by it. And it draws you in. You're enticed by it. It's something that you think that will satisfy you. And it's only deception. The word there, enticed, is to bait. And that's what we do with a mouse trap. We put something in there that the mouse desires. 
And he's willing to risk his life going at it to get it. We baited. We put bait out. The fisherman got to know what kind of bait he's using to catch what kind of fish and what those fish like. But they're baiting. And the whole process is to catch, to catch, or to entrap. So Satan's out to entrap. Satan's out to catch us. And what does he use? He uses a bait, something that he knows, something that we're designed on the inside. It's okay to des de desire a husband, but don't let Satan bait you. Don't let him entrap you. It's okay to desire a wonderful home. But don't let Satan bait you. Don't let him entrap you. Or you get something you don't want. It's still just wait upon the Lord. Just wait on the Lord. And the whole process, it is that area of entrapment that is taking place. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3. It speaks of Eve. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Look what he says in Paul's speaking. He says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived or beguiled, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent, cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, understand this. Satan don't care how often you pray. Satan don't care about how often you read. Satan don't care how often you praise the Lord. If he can get an inch in there, if he can get a hook, if he can bait you, he's going to do it. Amen. He's going to do it. You can't stop praying. You can't stop reading the word. You can't stop fellowshipping. You cannot stop being among those who are of like-mindedness. Watch those Christians who fall away and see what their friends are like. The group that they're running with now have no knowledge of the word, don't care nothing about church, and not working in the kingdom of God, don't care about nothing but earthly things. Watch the people that, the company that they're keeping. Look at their company, look at their friends, and it will tell you a lot about the person. When you see somebody hanging out too much with worried people, they can talk about being saved and they can talk about loving the Lord and they can talk about that. The problem is they're not. But where your heart is, there's your treasure. And if my heart is fixed on Jesus, that's my treasure. That's the one that's going to supply me with everything I have need of. That's all I desire. That's all I really want. That's my treasure. It's Jesus. The song that the men sung is true. 
I may not have the education. I may not have house. I may not have the wealth. I may not have this. But I got Jesus. And that's good enough. That's good enough. That's good enough. And he says, boy, just like Eve was beguiled, you and I can be what? Deceived. We can be entrapped. Because Satan's going to take something out there and he's going to show it to us. And it's going to draw us away. But you need to understand you're being dragged away from Jesus. You're being dragged away from the word. You're being dragged away from the church. You're being dragged away from fellowship. You're being dragged away from other Christians. And you find yourself out here with a bunch of worldly folks. That's all. One thing that we recognize of a lot of people down there when we went out walking the last Wednesday, they knew the word. <laughs> they wouldn't even tell us the word. You know, and one of them I thought, boy, I wasn't quite sure they entrapped me or not, but they came over once they found out I'm the pastor and gave me a dollar for the church. And I wanted them to see something real quickly. Pastor didn't put that dollar in his pocket. I gave it on to somebody else because the thought out there is that the only thing the pastor is after what? And I gave that money to one of the other brothers and they said, make sure that gets in the church. And they already... <laughs> because people will bait you. People will trap you. He goes on from that point and he uses the word conceived. He says in verse 15, then after desire has conceived, conceived means to seize, to take one prisoner. So now you've been captivated. Now you've been seized by that thing. You've been mesmerized by it. You've been hypnotized by it. Your mind can't get off of it. You gotta have it. You gotta be with it. You gotta possess it. You gotta own it. It's taking you prisoner of your mind and your thought process. It is in that area which we become very, very, very vulnerable. Seize is to take one as a prisoner. And when you're a prisoner, you just can't walk away. It has such a hold on you, you just can't walk away from it. That's where oftentimes we as Christians, we miss this. When God says, intercessory prayer, intercessory prayer, you're praying for someone else to be delivered. You're praying for someone else to be loose. You're, being, you're praying for someone else to be set free of a sin. You're interceding on, on their behalf. Why? They can't even pray for themselves. Amen. And you're interceding. 
Because that sin has taken them prisoner. And they can't run from it. They can't get out of it. It's easy sometimes to say to people, just walk away from it. But if you don't know the progressionness of this, oh yeah, when the desire first starts, let's walk away. I'll tell any man, because sometimes men ask me, is it sin to look at a beautiful woman? <laughs> well, I have to admit to them, pastor do that. The sin comes when you walk past and then you do this. And then you do. <laughs> that becomes the problem. You see? And the whole process boils down into that area. That yes, it's conceived. It has seized you. You've been taken prisoner of it. You can't walk away from it. You can't escape it. And that's why the scripture says, Jesus rescued me. Jesus rescued me. Jesus rescued me. Because it's Jesus who rescues me from my sin. He rescues me from every attack of Satan. Go to 2 Peter. We went through this not too long ago, but just go back as a reminder. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Remember when we were talking about Lot? And Lot is there in Sodom and is going to be destroyed. And the angels had told Lot to what? Leave, leave. And finally they take him by the hand and do what? Look what it says in verse 9. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous from the day of judgment. He knows how to do it. Why? He did it with Lot. He rescued Lot. Because Lot was in something that he just couldn't walk away from. It says it had seized him. It had taken hold of him. And it was there. Now, it's amazing what takes place now when you follow these steps. Because he says, once it has seized you, and it has captivated your mind. It has hypnotized you. That that's all you can think of. That's all you can see. That's all that you want. That's all that you desire. You can't walk away from it if you wanted to. He says at that point now, it gives birth to sin. It gives birth to sin. Now, understand something. Birth is always the starting point. Because it's amazing what words follow down. It says it gives birth to sin. So sin is in its infinite stage. It's in its stage that, yes, that at that point, I can say to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. 
But I've got to recognize I'm in what? Sin. Lord, rescue me. Lord, forgive me. This is the time that I need to really understand this is the confessional area. This is the time that I can really understand. I'm in sin. I'm in trouble. I'm involved in something I shouldn't be involved in. Because now it's really given birth to sin. First John 3, 9 says, For he that has this seed in him, he that is born with this seed in him, cannot continue in sin. And that's where the cry comes out. And we need to understand that step. Because in this step, in this time period, this is the time to repent. This is the time to call upon the Lord. This all you can do is call upon the Lord. You can't lose yourself. You can't free yourself. All you can do is call upon the name of the one who is able to rescue you and deliver you. He says, it gives birth to sin. And off you go. This is the state in which most people find remorse too. But they don't know how to get out of it. So all they're doing is crying. All they're doing is saying, I'm sorry. Now, I'm sorry is not repentance. This is the state of feeling the real guilt. This is the state in which you begin to understand the weight of what you're involved in. Because you're totally entrapped and been made a prisoner of it. See, a lot of times when we start playing with sin, we assume or think we can what? Walk away from it any time we want to. That's the thing with people with drugs. They think, it, boy, they smoke a, a little pot or a little crack, they can put it down whenever they want. What they don't know is what happens to the brain. And then the brain desires it. And the whole process is that once it gets you hooked, crack will kill you. Heroin will kill you. Alcohol will kill you. Addictive drugs will kill you. And you can't control them. You'll steal from mom, from dad, from anybody. And you begin to see the traits and the behavior come out. And he says, boy, after it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. Catch it in its first stage. Catch sin in its early stage. Cancer have, as I said, has five stages. In most cases, if they open you up and you're in the fifth stage of cancer, what most likely are they going to do? Can't do a thing. Sew you back up, send you home, or death is already there. <laughs> but they catch the cancer in the first or second stage, no later than that third stage, they begin treating and fighting it. 
And that's what we have to do with sin. The earlier we catch it, we need to start the fight. 2 Corinthians 5 says, anything that comes against God, exalt itself again, I need to cast it down. I need to bring it captive. I need to begin right now to deal with it. Right now. I don't let it linger on. Hey. All of us have this habit, don't we? You get a sore throat, you go get your Listerine, and you begin to what? After the Listerine don't work, you go get you some hot water and salt. You're doing everything but going where? No, my doctor told me one time, Gus, stop playing around. As soon as you are sick, you get here. Your immune system cannot fight off things anymore. I had to learn that because, boy, them old mom remedies and everything, and, you know, my grandmother made up some cough syrup with a fifth of whiskey of this and rock candy and shit. Wouldn't that knock it out, Roscoe? You a sweat left? <laughs> but that don't work. That don't work with me. Hey, I got to get there and get that antibody. The moment you sense sin, the antibiotic is the blood of Jesus, you begin to cover yourself with the blood of Christ. You begin to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, open my eyes. Lord, correct my path. Amen. You want to begin to act right now. Because you know you've given birth to sin. Now, look at this space here. Remember what I said there's that time period? Remember what we were talking about in Genesis with Cain? The Lord said unto can't just do what's right, you know. So here's that period between doing what's right, and he says, sin crouches at your door. You know, that which will spark that and start a bonfire of sin on the inside of you is right there at your door. Look what he says next. It gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown, Full grown. But God is saying, yeah, sin's there now, is given birth to sin, but now sin has that possibility of doing what in your life? Growing. What is the temperature of the body? Uh, what should it be? 96? The moment you notice one temperature over, you know what's what? There's something wrong on the inside. There's a temperature. Now for adults, they say it's not good for the temperature to get up to 104 or 105. Kids can handle that pretty good when they're pretty young. But adults can't handle that. But you got from the time it goes from that one to here. You got that time that you recognize sin to the time in which that sin is full blown. To repent, to ask God to forgive you, to turn from what you're doing. 
And if you don't, that sin is going to go ahead and it's going to grow in your life. Look at the results. Because he says, after sin is full grown, he says, gives birth to death. Take those steps. After the sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. You give birth to sin, then you give sin that time to grow in your life because you won't deal with it. And then it gives birth to death. Two types of death. One, spiritual death. Spiritual death is that where you're no longer in fellowship with the Lord. You're no longer in fellowship with anybody who, who is a Christian. I think sometimes that's, that's those people who say sometimes, I was once saved. <laughs> but they've been out here in the world so long and they don't understand that they really accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. They are saved. But they are spiritually what? Dead. And then there's that physical death. Sin can also cause physical death. You play with sin, it can take you out of here. And we need to understand that. There is the spiritual death where you're useless to God. But you're only saved by fire. That's all. But God can't use you. You don't even want to even acknowledge him. You don't even want to even be used by him. You didn't close your Bible and put it down. Sometimes you'll pray with a person, and I prayed with people in the hospital, and they told me, I left the Lord 30 years ago. But he's right here with me now. He's right here with me now. I left the Lord 10 years ago. I got angry with him. I got upset with him. I went out and did this. But he's right here with me now. You don't allow sin to separate you from God. And it's true what Scripture says in Romans 8. From God's side of it, nothing will separate me from the love of God. God still loves me. God still have hold of me. But I'm refusing to do what is right. That free will is very, very strong. And it says, sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. All right. I pray it will not happen in any of our lives. 
I pray that the moment that sin is knowledgeable to us, that we'll deal with it. What the Word of God allows us to understand is this, that I do have trouble with greed. I do have trouble in adultery. I do have trouble with fornication. I do have trouble with stealing. I do have trouble with this mouth because this tongue can set a city on fire. I do have trouble and I acknowledge those things. And like he said unto Cain, you got to master those things. And that's why he's given me the Holy Spirit that I can master those things and keep this body under control. Because I cannot do it in and of myself. So when we see the sinner out there without Christ, he's just doing what is natural. But we who are born again and washed in the blood and have the Spirit of God, we have the choice to be controlled by this sinful body and our desires and our lusts or controlled by the Spirit. Our choice. Our choice. And every day you'll have that choice. Who's going to control you? And that's why Scripture tells us, don't yield your members over to Because you have to make that choice. No woman makes you come and lay with her. No man makes you come and lay with her. No body causes you to really do what you do, but just your own desires. But you need to look at each one of these steps and you need to understand that first you're drawn away by your own desire and you're the one who has to say, I desire this or I desire the Lord more. Remember what the Lord said unto Peter? Loveth I? Do you love the Lord more than your desire? Do you love him more? Then you need to understand that you're going to be enticed. And Satan's going to be out there trying to drag you away from the things of the Lord. From the things that the Lord has called you to, he's going to be trying to drag you away from them. You need to understand. He wants that sin to take you captive. He wants you to be entrapped. Because once you're entrapped, you just can't walk away. You can't set yourself free. Wouldn't it be something with a mouse trap that the mouse got caught in it and he could set himself free? But once he's trapped, He's not dead immediately, but he's trapped there. And in a period of time, he dies. You're entrapped because now that sin has conceived in you. And then it gives forth the evidence of sin in your life. And then when it's full-blown, it just brings forth death.
Take note of how sin creeps into your life. Take note of it. If we had time, we'd look at scripture of people who entice you. The enticement can come from people in your own family. You need to understand that. Enticement can come from good friends. You need to recognize it. But the moment you are beginning to lose your favor or your fire for the Lord, an alarm should go off in your head. Let me close with this. Oftentimes with this thing called love, we don't understand it. So we use this phrase that we cannot find biblically. Nor can we really understand the depth of it. How is it that a man and a woman who falls in love fall out of love? Love is always described biblically only as that which is a growing thing. Your love is deepened. You love more and more and more. Every man in here who has been married a year or more should love the wife more than what he did the first day he married. You love them more and more and more. And it's the same thing with the Lord. We love him more and more and more. And we keep growing in that love. And how is it that we fall out of love with him? When love is a consistent, constant, growing experience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, O God, for your word. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, that you would help us to understand that we do have one, O God, who desires to shift us this wheat. We do have one who hunts after us as a roaring lion, desire to destroy his prey. We do have one, O oh God, who will do anything to keep us from serving you. But Lord, may it be in our hearts and in our minds that Lord, we're going to be loyal to you, we're going to be faithful to you, and nothing's going to turn us from thee. But Lord, we can't only say it. We have to practice it. We have to want to be close to you. We have to want to be in your word. We have to want to be in prayer. We have to want to be in fellowship with other saints. We have to want to be in the church. We have to love the church and desire the church. Knowing that, Lord, that it is your word. That, Lord, that we would not forsake the gathering of ourselves. That, Lord, that we'll recognize that we are strengthened by one another. And your word is true. Wherever two of us are, you're in the midst of us. 
that there is a greater effect with the two of us meeting and praying than it is me just meeting by myself. Lord, help us, oh God, to recognize that sin will cause us to stumble, to fall, but we're so thankful your word declares this, the righteous man may fall seven times, but seven times he shall arise. Give us the strength, O oh God, to get back up, confess our sins, <laughs> repent of our sins, and get back in the right relationship with you. Minister to us. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. And in his name we do pray. Amen. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, everything begins with your acceptance of him.